What up, people? It is Richard Harrison, Scott Lease, with another fantabulous episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. A uh, couple things um, before we introduce our guests, who I just, was just doing some notes. We we hung out back in 2018, a long time ago. So we'll bring that up. But um, but a couple things. So one uh, mention of our sponsors to you, Outreach. Thank you so much, as well as. Um, Jeez, uh, Scratchpad and Sendoso. So yeah, Scott's over here you're watching. Sure you're just making sure you get it right there, Richard. Make well, sure it's like, you know, I've been I've been a little bit on vacation and then traveling for work. So I've been like, I think I've slept in my own bed <clears throat> four out of the last 30 days. So my brain's a little fried. So yeah. um, we'll, also- we'll, back. We'll, we'll shake the rust off here in a minute. Yeah, yeah. By the way, we, we have a new announcement, which we haven't ever mentioned on the podcast. So we have a new Founders Surf and Sales event coming up in October, um, which is for founders only. And it's going to be at Scott Lisa's Lake House. So if you've ever wanted to hang out at Scott with Scott and at his illustrious lake house outside of Austin, Texas, it's going to be a very small group compared to November and our regular Surf and Sales, but you should definitely check it out. Um, what is this? What is it? Surfandsales.com slash what, Scott? surfandsales.com forward slash texas texas that's right yes so because we want to make sure people knew that it's in uh the bluish domestic domestic not international domestic so yeah. i may be i may be completely insane for actually using my actual house but we'll yeah see. we'll see we'll see so without further ado uh we want to invite our serial cro uh as well as desirous beach bum and host of the Silicon Zombies podcast, Nick Larson. Nick, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you so much, guys. Real, uh, real treat to to be here. Hope your Monday is going well. Yeah, you know it is now. So <laughs> um, that's that's the best part. I mean, we're both here. I haven't we haven't done one of these in a couple of weeks. Scott's hair is longer as well as his beard since the last time I saw him. So um, nice. He's looking That's more what more. happens as time passes, Richard. As time goes by, I don't know what hair growth is like. So you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> tell uh, tell everybody, Nick, a little bit about your your current role at uh, at Unity, and sure. uh, you know, kind of what you do, and give people some perspective on your sales experience and sales leadership experience. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for the question, guys. Um, so, um. Unity essentially, you, you can think of it as a, as a, um, an augmented brain in the form of a workspace. Uh, so traditionally, my experience with technology has been, you know, you look for a problem and then you build a specific solution to solve that challenge. And it's kind of cookie cutter to some degree. But what really excites me about this opportunity working with this team uh, which again is this? It's like a it's like a digital workspace with a, a foundation of technology and a distributed ledger. Um, so, like your your information universe, you could say, is that there are uh, four different tools within this ecosystem that you can solve problems with. So you're more like co-creating. You're more empowering people um, together as opposed to here's your problem, here's our solution, which is okay. more exciting. Now, okay, now. I have my 75-year-old mother staying with me right now. Right, exactly. What the fuck does that mean? How so about now, how do I explain your old partner who doesn't yeah. get it? How do I explain what you do to my mother? How do we simplify that and dumb it down and remove some of the like industry buzzwords as Richard? Okay. Yeah, keep it keep it simple, right? 
So um, I'll, I'll give you a, a good use case of, uh, of, a, of a new customer that we have. Uh, actually, our, our first customer. Um, it's supply chain management for the, for the Oculus, right? So if we think, uh, so Facebook needs total transparency along processes. Um, we automate a lot of those processes uh, in the supply chain space. Um, and also like query is like another really important element. Let's, let's zoom out, right? So like half of our week, we spend researching and sharing and accessing data. Um, that's, that's a huge opportunity cost. So you can think of it as like a, like a digital operating system. Um, yeah, I, I hope that, I hope that helped yeah, a little no, bit. That, that, that's a little more helpful. So you mentioned no, that this is your It doesn't first... help, hold on, Scott. It doesn't help at all. <laughs> I, it helped me. I understand more now. I know, but I'm older than you. And I'm, you know, so, so, so let me, I want to repeat what I heard of like, so Oculus needs full transparency to their, to all the different pieces that make up their headsets. Right. And right, you got it. so, and you're saying, you know, and you're right. Like a ton of people have to go do research about this piece and that product and this piece and, you know, this plastic and that factory. Does it automate that process? Does it go do that research? Is that what I'm hearing? Or is it? So the, yeah, great, great, great question, Richard. So think about it, everything in life is a, is a process, right? So like when you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you make your bed, you get dressed, you eat breakfast and you leave the house. Um, similarly, when, when Best Buy you know, purchases 100,000 Oculuses or, or Amazon purchases half a million Oculuses, there's a lot of steps and a lot of coordinating from your own team, from your customers to partners. And there needs to be total transparency throughout that process. And if we can automate it through, again, like making sure that if the purchase order has the right quantity and amount and the right people checked off on it, then you can um, automate some of the checkpoints. So like, so Best Buy could go and look at it as could the other retailer as is Amazon and all the data is in one place. So someone like, like me, if I were the, the manager of the Oculus, I don't have to send like 12 emails to 12 different people telling them what the status update is. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that I get. It, okay. It, it's like this smart, this smart environment, Richard, it yeah. makes data actionable and, and collaborative, which is, which is pretty neat. Cool. All right. So that tells us that you're way smarter than all of us. You no, I just hang around smart people. <laughs> in a way, and then try to follow what they do. You're you're deep into that. So back up a long time ago. Like what what makes you? I have two questions. What makes you chase revenue because you like to be a CRO? Like what about Nick? And what? How do you figure out the new the new new thing? There's a great book out there called The New New. Thing. Wow, you, you guys are good at this. Uh, I chase revenue because it's just so quantifiable. Um. Like, you know, if you're screwing up or not, if you're screwing up, you can iterate based on data to figure out how you can improve. Um, it just, it feels really good to know that you have achieved and surpassed your goal. Were you that kid? Were you that competitive as a kid? You know, like, you know, did you play sports and then did you like videotape yourself and like look at my <laughs> swing and, you know, all that stuff? Like, I, uh, yeah, I'm super competitive. I, I grew up playing sports, but then I, I found, I uh, found surfing when I was 12 and then pretty much everything else went out the window. Um, Got it. because it, you know, it's a lifestyle, Richard. 
Yes. Way of luck, man. Way of luck. Right? <laughs> He's too good a surfer to come with us to surf and sales. So, so you, you talked about chasing revenue because it's quantifiable and all that kind of stuff. This makes me think, I don't know why it makes me think this, but it makes me wonder how you feel about performance reviews as pertains to the sales team and the sales department. Like anything, it's, it's collaborative, right? Like if you pick good people, in fact, well, okay. You guys familiar That's not with the this answer book? that I was expecting. So I was expecting okay. him to be like, well, I think uh, performance reviews and sales are horseshit because every single right. day you're already under review. I can see your numbers, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> you went a different route. So tell me about that. So, so a couple of weeks ago on Silicon Zombies podcast, which we host every Tuesday at five, we had Jonathan Weston. He's a senior vice president at Salesforce. And he, uh, he's a fascinating guy. He mentioned that uh, he's very good at taking a big, hairy, audacious goal in, uh, in, a, in building a team and accomplishing that. But he's not so great with people that like to micromanage him. And I think that if you pick the right people, which is why I, I mentioned this book, if, if who, if you're not familiar with it, it says, you know, and the economist agrees that people are, are the biggest problem, but also the biggest opportunity. You pick the right folks, you don't have to micromanage them, which means performance reviews will be that much better because they already know what they're supposed to be doing and they'll come to you proactive if, if they need help. Did you do performance reviews with your sales team, Richard? I, I really never did. Like at yeah. OKR with my sales rep? Yeah, but so there are two things. So yes, I did, but I was, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, right? Because that was- They weren't as fashionable then. Right. That that being said, you know, when I worked with you, you know, we were constantly on top of the numbers daily, almost hourly. Um, You know, and I remember in our management meetings, it was like by team, where are you for your number? And then we would break that down. So to your point, um, we did that. And again, we were, when Scott and I worked together, we were at a, really old school company where it was like three days of training. And if you don't close something by next Friday, you're out. Like it was really cool. Did your team, did your team feel micromanaged Richard? I wonder. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah, they definitely (laughs) did. I mean, but the whole, the whole, the process was designed by that because the founder required it. Um, And, uh, and Scott was also, Scott was in a unique situation um, because he was a first time director VP of sales at that larger group and had that we had this ridiculous micromanaging founder. Um, and so we, we didn't really have the ability to kind of go do it the right way, even though I know Scott knew how to do it the right way. Um, yeah, it's one of the, I'm sure you've, I hope I'm not alone in this, but a lot of people who are new to leadership and VP roles, like you make mistakes and you end up working for a tyrant and you don't know any better, right? I didn't know any better way back then. I just was like, wow, I got to do whatever this guy tells me to do in order to keep my job. And he would have never let you do it the way you thought you should do it anyway. No, I yeah. mean, most people wouldn't be allowed that with yeah. that type of founder. You know, I would never allow myself to be treated like that anymore, but I'm older, wiser, more experienced, you know? Yeah. You think, Scott, do, you think you needed to go, do you think you needed to go through that process to get where you're at now? I do actually. I do actually. That would that would be a, a whole interesting conversation to go down. But you know, sometimes it's helpful to 
not just learn what not to do, but also like I was, I came out like molded in steel. You know, you talk about going through like Navy SEALs type <laughs> boot camp, you know, like nothing's going to phase me after that. No, nobody was ever going to be harder. The work that I did was never going to be harder. The pressure would never be more intense, you know? So I, I, I think in a, in, a, in a weird, sick way, it was probably pretty helpful for me to go through. <laughs> yeah. I think the battle starts. Yeah. I think we all like that abuse because we don't know different. Right. And, uh, and it's also different now, like even now that kind of, it exists, but there's way better management training out there at the early stage startups than there were, you know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago when we first met Scott. Yeah. Know? There's just a lot more access to information right. as well. Like yeah. if you were a, a new VP of sales, there's people talking on LinkedIn or Twitter all day, every day about what to do and what not to do and different podcasts like ours and Nick's podcast and all that kind of stuff. There was none of that shit. Right. In the early, <clears throat> early two thousands when, you know, we were VPs of sales for the, for the first time. Right. Yeah. So, so you didn't know any better. Now I think there's less excuse and people can't get away with behaving that much anymore. They'd be smashed online. Probably. Yeah. Do you think it's more, prevalent at an early stage kind of company like you try i mean you go early stage all the time nick part of the serial entrepreneur and you do you think that type of abuse is much more common at an early stage versus a larger stage uh first of all yes but i think that's becoming less and less the case um, like this this traditional paradigm of the of the steve jobs style leader um, I think is becoming a little Byzantine. Um, by the way, I, my mom worked for Apple for 30 years. So I, I got to meet Jobs when I was 12, which is like a really pretty cool experience. But like now people are realizing that, um, that, and I think there's a wave of the mental health importance kind of comes along with this too. But if you treat people well, they'll treat you well. And you can empower them and get more out of them. I'm going to push back on that. And I know we're going to, we're, I know we're going to ask you about Steve Jobs, but um, the, my question is, is that really happening or is it because you've gotten wiser, you know how to select better? Because I think there's still a lot of young people coming out of college or dropping out with an amazing idea who just don't have life experience, you know? Now that being said, they're Gen Z's and, you know, for the most part are millennials. So they certainly have a little bit better life experience than those, the Gen Xers of us, right? But do you think that it's really going by the wayside? Do you think the VCs are supporting this piece? I agree with you on the mental health, like that's a big topic, but, or is it you've gotten better at recognizing and then avoiding them? Uh, uh, I, yeah, I think independent, like the macro trend of leadership, I, I think people are becoming more, more conscious. Uh, or, or have an elevated level of consciousness. Now, I mean, for me personally, and this kind of dovetails in what Scott mentioned, because you've you've had those experiences where you're like forged in steel through these like, you know, really tough leaders or um, you know things along that line. I I think that uh, that happens too. Um, but independent of myself, yeah, people are people are becoming uh, people are becoming more aware of that. It's you need to treat people with love and respect, and you can get you can squeeze more juice out of the out of the orange that way too. So that just means I'm old and bitter. 
because I didn't get that. <laughs> Typical much. Gen X. I'm jealous. How do you, how do you figure? How do you figure? Oh, I just, I've always said that Gen X, you know, is is you know unique in the sense that we weren't entitled. We were just slackers. We were just like fuck that, and then we were lazy about anything, right? Like that was our. A lot of people don't know that. Like we were called the slacker generation. Um, and uh, and so there's a lot of jealousy when I hear Gen Xers complaining about how easy millennials and Gen Z have it. It's not their fault. It's that they fought hard enough to say, well, I'm not going to put up with this. Whereas Gen Xers, we didn't fight hard enough. We just went and said, oh, okay, if I've got to work that hard, that's what I got to do. So there's a lot of jealousy for mm. Gen Xers, you know, and, and they, it's hard for them to as soon as I say it, they all kind of do what you just did. I'm like, oh, I never thought about it that way. That's Charlie. Yeah. But here's yeah. a new thing. I just read this article about Gen X and leadership and um, the difference we're going to see between them and millennials and who are now moving into those roles and, and Gen Z. You know, we didn't necessarily want leadership per se. We just kind of, we didn't want to coast, but we didn't want leadership. And look at Congress. How many Gen Xers are there in Congress? There's not. There really isn't. It's going to go a lot from the boomer generation, little bit of Gen X, but then you're already seeing the millennials are coming in. You know what I mean? Like you're starting to see it. So it's a really interesting. Thank, thank God. Thank God. I mean, it's like, I think a lot of our legislators have really little to no comprehension of technology. Like one More of the senators life, yeah. had asked Mark Zuckerberg, like, how does Facebook make money? And he's like, we make ads. So yeah, I remember that. That was a seriously. So unreal. You you mentioned at the beginning that you just got your first customer. Can you can you walk through your process as a early CRO or VP of sales? How do you go about getting your first customers? What does that process look like? What should people be doing to ensure the best odds of their success? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we're in a little bit unique of a scenario because Unity Central is is a, a fairly new company dovetailing out of uh, Boardwalk, which is 17 years old and holds a bunch of patents and on, on the distributed ledger. So it's kind of a little bit of a, um, a head start in that capacity. But as to your question, if you're starting out fresh, which a lot of founders are, it's all about community, right? So like, for example, my last startup, Willow, uh, which is AI, social media for small business. Um, we, we, the, the product really was not that hot for like the first six months, you know, eight months. So, you know, we kind of just, it was a little bit of a favor, but there was that social credibility. So I helped drive leads and introductions for people in my community. And in exchange, they supported us as well. And that allowed us to get this early revenue to invest back into the product to make it something where it's more, uh, so we could scale. How do you think, because you, you came out of a strong a strong position, right? Being spun out, some credibility, I think, is built into that. How does a founder who has a great product, a great service, get a first paying customer, right? Like, that's very hard to do. Like, And oftentimes, we, we sort of give it away to get proof of concept, right? or we go to fr friends and family, but is there a way just through all of your experience of like, it's gotta be nerve wracking to like, how do I get someone to pay for this when I don't have any customers yet? And I'm just curious if you have any tips to that. One, 
one of the things that I really appreciate about both you guys is the quality of your content and the quality of your community. You guys lead with value. And if you do that and you're consistent, then you'll have a host of people that if you ask them for a favor, even including being a paid customer, then, um, <clears throat> then they'll be able to roll with that. And so do you have to find that early adopter then? Is that the key, right? Like, hey, I need to find these early adopters. Are you trying to, is it, yeah, you need to leverage the relationships of your VCs and or people you know, like, is that the recommendation? A, a thousand percent. The other thing, and this is kind of more along the lines of being organized, but I would strongly recommend everybody to keep like a list. So I've got an investor list that I've been keeping about for five, six years. I've got Nick's short list, which is about 200 super VIPs and high net worth individuals that I, that I know, like, and trust. And if, if everybody did that, then I feel like they would be more organized in a way that they can keep the uh, top of mind with those, with those individuals. All right. Last question. Then I'm going to turn it back over to Scott. How do you put them on that list? how do you make sure that you maintain that relationship? Like, this is something I'm not good at, right? You got 250 people you want to stay in touch with. I can barely stay in touch with Scott, much less <laughs> anybody else. No, no, just, you know, I, and it's like all my thing. It's like every year my resolution is, oh, I should talk to this person twice a year or, and I'm just not, maybe it's just a simple organization. How do you stay on top of that? And how do you know that they want to be on your list or do you care? They they don't they don't make it on the list unless in this unless they know like and trust me as well. So it's a pretty that's a that's a very distilled list. Um, and and I I guess well so you can do a couple of things. You can have a newsletter and as long as it has like super high quality content like you guys share, um, you could throw events um, or you could just periodically. You know, when you find like a really interesting piece on LinkedIn and then you automatically think like, oh, you know what? So-and-so would be great for this. And you just, you just tag them or maybe share it in a, in a private message, whichever you think is more appropriate. Scott's sitting invited to Nick's events. No, I'm not on the list. Yeah, apparently me neither. So, you know, well, we've, <laughs> we've, we've only had one, but it's uh, so far so good. You know, I wish I had a list when he, when he said that, I was thinking that's a really good idea. That's a great idea. That I don't have at all. Yes. You know. Thank you. I'm, I'm shocked to hear that. <laughs> no. Well. But I know Scott. Scott. Richard's not shocked to hear that. <laughs> no. But but I know Scott doesn't have it on paper. It's in. I bet Scott. If I said, tell me 25 people you know and trust in this area, you you could rattle them off off the top of your head. Like I know you. Yeah. But that. But yes. But that's malpractice on my part. Keeping it, keeping it locked in my, in my head yeah, and not taking an extra step to document everything. Right. Yeah. Our memory, you know, only lasts so long, right. The, the more relationships you get, the list can, can swell. It gets harder. And, and it also shifts people maybe move in and out of it or start to move in different circles yeah. and whatnot. It's a living, breathing thing. And uh, you know, organizing it would be the right way, especially since I preach organizing everything else, you know, in terms of how you like go to market and sell and all that kind of stuff. Not I think there's a name for it, right? 
it like Dunbar's number or something. You ever heard? You ever heard of heard of this? No. It's like the human brain can it maxes out around like 150 to 200 or 200 people or so. Mm. Uh, which is which is why I you know try to use this. Is that why you picked the number that you did for your list? Try to match it up. No, in, in fact, that number that list can keep growing. Um, mm. But it's good to have notes next to like you know when did you talk last. What do they care about? Um, how can I be valuable to this person? Do you do that? Oh, heck yeah. Wow. You know, I, I, I got to tell you guys, I don't really have that great a memory. And it's so I, you know, I kind of. Oh, I get uh, it. Like, you know, yeah. you've got your emotional quotient, your intelligence quotient. This would be like the AQ, the adaptability quotient. Ooh, I like that. I this is actually something that you personally should talk about and write about and try to coin as like your thing, like these lists and how you built them and why, and this adaptability quotient. I've never heard of that Me either. before. And, you know, I think a lot of people would resonate with that. So maybe you've got a, maybe you hit on a little, you know, side hustle cool. idea here, man. Thank you guys. We, we should, we should hang out more often. This is great. Yeah, that's right. We're amused. That's all we are. We're amused for you. Yeah. <laughs> let's ask a fun question so as we start to like move towards the end of the show we got a fun kind of fun question for you you mentioned that you cast aside all your all the other sports that you were doing and everything like that and uh obviously we're big into surfing and built business around it you you got into surfing at about 12 years old so you're way better than than, than we are i'm sure how has surfing helped or hindered your career God, that's so brilliant. Um, I've, I've never thought about how it has hindered my career, but, but it would be really cool to give a talk on how it's, how it's helped. Um, in fact, just to kind of zoom out a little bit, I think everybody could take the thing that they're good at and, and, and apply it to something they're not good at. So, so let's take surfing out of the equation for a second. If you're, if you love to cook, like what makes a good cook? Well, you know how different flavors pair. Uh, you've got a great sense of timing and um, maybe you, um, you, you make sure to have like the right equipment. Um, well, you can, you can apply those things to, for example, like if you want to improve on your relationships at work um, and just keep that mindset and kind of like rewire your brain for success, knowing you've already been good at that thing that you're applying. Um, but Scott, as to your specific question about surfing, probably patience. I would say patience is like the biggest, cause like, you know, maybe the tide's getting fat and it's like, there's no waves coming through, but you, you're you still want to score a couple waves and, or, you know, having the right equipment. Like if you have the wrong board for the, for the, for the wave, or if you have a hole in your wetsuit, you're not going to be performing your peak. Um, so yeah, and as for how it's like held me back, you know, I've I've definitely been late to meetings because I was having a, a board meeting. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's a, a real specific <laughs> example for how it how it hindered him. <laughs> he got so so caught up in what he was doing, he missed true, the meeting. True story. Scott and I, or Scott Riley, my oldest, uh, big movie buff. So we watch movies for the directing piece. So we watched Apocalypse Now yesterday, and. Um, and the whole surfing scene just blew Riley's mind. 
you're like, wait, how did they have a surfboard in Vietnam? <laughs> you know, like just the whole, you know, it, it was a fascinating piece for, for Riley because he's, I think Riley, that will be his sport if I can get him out there more often, um, you know, but uh, I love it. And, um, you know, I love your advice about taking something good at and then applying something you're bad and sort of going, oh, well, I'm good at cooking because I know it takes these ingredients or I know it takes this process and then applying that to a sales relationship or a friendship or, you know, it's like, oh, I need to go look on my ingredients, right? Like you've got that list of 250 people, you know, you need to go and make an effort with them to some degree. Um, so I really like that. I think my, my challenge with that advice, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm good at. Right. So um, that's, I find that hard to believe. So. <laughs> golf. You could use golf as an example, Richard. Well, I'm not good at that. I love, I'm, I'm ex next time I come see you, we're going to see if you've gotten better, which I assume you have, and you'll probably beat me because you hate the fact that I beat you that one time. So. <laughs> you you guys are commissioned. Too, huh? he, will, he will be no, late not at all. Because not at all. On the range. So, um, but, uh, but it's cool. So, so Nick, just a, a quick shout out to our, to our sponsors. And then we want to flip it to you of like, what, you know, you've already asked a couple of great questions, but, you know, flipping it over to you to ask some questions. Uh, thanks to Sendoso, Scratchpad and Outreach always for supporting us, our events and our podcasts. And um, by all means, people, if you haven't checked out surfingsales.com forward slash Texas, and I wonder if we have to say forward slash at this stage in our life. Like I, I hope not, but um you know, probably not check us out. If you're a founder, we'd love to have you there. And then of course, surfandsales.com for November, uh, you know, we'd love to do that. And then we'll be announcing next year pretty soon, I think. So, um, so Nick, what, what questions can we answer for you, man? What do you think are the biggest challenges for the future of humanity? Wow. We have not gotten a human question like that ever. Good Lord. Am I, I'm, I'm, very sober for this type of conversation. <laughs> You're way too sober. I'm, this just type you, of conversation. This really is a late night conversation here. The biggest <laughs> challenges for humanity, he, he just said. Obviously, the climate, I think, is has is, got to be number one. There, there is no humanity if the planet is uninhabitable. So <laughs> I would probably start there. So I would, um, I would say that humanity will resurrect itself if we because the planet's not going anywhere we are is uh, it so <laughs> it ain't going nowhere so oh okay richard and i disagree already see you're yeah. trying to pick a fight between us Nick. so like the hey, that makes, planet that makes lasted billions of years right? it, we will die off before the planet dies off trust me um that being said i think it's um getting out of our bubbles is the biggest problem, which then would lead into what Scott's saying is, you know, we've gotten so in the last 10 years, my way or the highway about everything. And that lack of a dialogue is a problem. Um, and I think that's the biggest problem for humanity. Wow. And, uh, and I, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to agree. Like I, you know, you know, I don't value someone's friendship with me based on their political affiliation. I know a lot of people who will value that. And I have several friends who and I, we disagree, but we are still very good and close friends. And we either know to avoid topics or we set aside time to say, hey, let's talk about this because I want to hear your opinion. Wow. And we work because we know we're not going to change each other's opinions, but that's the piece that I feel like is missing for humanity. 
So, and then if we can start to do that, can we then find compromises? Can we? And, but starting with no compromise at all is just stupid. You know, it just doesn't. Right. So, right, right. I can't believe that. Based on, based on that question, I cannot believe Silicon Zombies is the name of your podcast. Because <laughs> oh, I can. I think it's I think it's a total farce of like don't be the zombie. Oh, right? it's like, so good. I get that, it. That that is the heaviest, like most philosophical question somebody has asked us for sure. In Ever. fact, I don't I literally don't know if there is a heavier question that can be asked, actually. Wow. No. How about you, Nick? Let's flip that question back to you. You can still ask another question. We got time, but what do you think is the biggest problem for humanity? Uh, well, I mean, Scott's piece about the environment, like that's that's certainly up there. Probably uh, AI control, like the singularity, which is definitely coming, and space travel. I think like those top three, and probably politics. There's like so much screwed up in politics that that uh, that the blockchain can fix. I, I would say um, those are like four really big ones. I don't even know how to understand what he just said, Scott. Like, I couldn't tell you why blockchain is a matter for humanity. It could be a whole geek out zombie episode or you know what I mean? Like, crazy. Yeah, I, I, he just mentioned the singularity, so I'm just slightly panicked now. <laughs> <laughs> all, my, all the sci-fi movies I've ever watched are about to come true. <laughs> so, uh, well, thanks for spending some time with us, Nick. And... Um, Wish you well with the podcast and your uh, your new company, Unity, and and hopefully uh, catch some good waves. And we'd love to see you at one of our surf and sales events sometime, man. So uh, I love that. Thank you guys for having me, and and would love to have you uh, as special guests on on Zombies here too. I'd love anytime, we'd love man. That. Anytime. Yeah. So, sure. Thanks, All right, man. Cheers. Cheers, guys.